0: Danny, thanks for being here this morning. I want to just kind of start with the big picture. What are you looking at for this week? We don't have a ton of economic data. No word from Jay Powell, but markets are already starting off with some gyration. What do you make of it?
1: Yeah, um, no, it's an interesting start to the week for sure, and especially uh, given the fact that we've already had earnings starting to come out, and it's been positive, very positive. Um, you know, we, we expected, uh, you know, to beat expectations, but we're beating them by more than uh, expected and, and we're still seeing choppiness. So definitely begs the question of whether markets are thinking past the earnings season already and um, what, what they're going to make of the rest of earnings. I think one of the interesting things too is that I, I anticipated or was looking for it to a certain extent, whether there would be some guidance and maybe we'll still get it in uh, earnings announcements around the the tax. Package and what that's going to do and how that's going to affect different companies um, and we haven't seen a lot of that. So interesting because, you know, kind of not seeing negative uh, aspects of, of taxes being priced in yet, not seeing um, negative surprises. You know, you previous speaker obviously spoke to a couple different uh, companies and of course, of course, Bitcoin, which we can talk about. But past that, um, you know, stocks are doing well. So
0: when we think about those earnings and the potential to lift the market, Dana, we've gotten stocks that have run so far, valuations still very frothy. all the expensive growth stuff pulled back, but then it seems like we just replaced that with other stuff, and the overall market is still trading at the highs for uh, multiples. So are are earnings going to need to be uh, particularly extravagant this time around to justify this?
1: Yeah, you know, I think... I think we are seeing that they are to a certain extent, right? I mean, I I don't know how much more we could expect than what we've gotten, um, 30% above expectations. And, you know, with the notion too that, um, again, I mean, we're, we're, you know, we have to have the tax package priced in, we have to have infrastructure spending priced in, which is obviously longer term, much more lagged. Mm. Um, but I, I don't know how much more you could expect um, from than what we're seeing. I mean, some interesting things coming out of just, so, InvestNet's uh, Yodel unit, which uses de-identified data to kind of look at spending trends. We're seeing travel up. We're seeing people using their COVID checks on mm. uh, consumer discretionary, which, of course, follows exactly uh, what other indicators are showing. So, really, uh, you know, I think um, the surge in spending that we're all sort of expecting appears to be happening. It's, it's more in the states that are more open, which is, which is as you'd expect but that leads you to say, okay, you know, when these other states start opening, right? And we get over these little bumps in the road on the vaccinations, but presuming that all goes well with vaccinations, right? These other states are gonna open and we're gonna continue to see spending and, and you know, uh, travel, consumer discretionary, et cetera, doing well as a result of that. Hmm. So I, I do think, you know, um, the market's kind of getting the, the indicators it needs and I wouldn't expect that um, there's any reason to see real pullback.
0: Dana, when we think about uh, the, there is no alternative trade, the kind of Tina trade of the market for the past decade and the idea that yields have been a little bit disruptive, where we've gotten some potential alternative and now maybe with uh, real economics picking up from all this uh, stimulus, uh, perhaps there's alternatives to the pure big tech growth trades. How does that uh, change the dynamic for investors and should we expect that outperformance from the start of the year to come back for some of these economically sensitive groups? Because over the last 30 days, it was all tech again, all the way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big proponent of diversification. And I I think, you know, it's hard to argue against the value proposition of big tech, but there are a lot of reasons as well to sort of hedge your bets. I mean, one would be, there's certainly a lot of impetus in Congress to rein tech in a little bit. And they've got a lot of priorities. A lot they're trying to deal with at once. But across the aisle, I would say uh, there's there's a desire to see big tech maybe held more accountable for for what's on their platforms, um, antitrust considerations that they have to deal with. You know, how do they handle consumer data? So there, there's a lot there um, that regulators are kind of looking at when it comes to big tech. And you know. There's also reasons to kind of look at some of these other areas that have been doing well at least year to date, right? We did see a little bit of a reversal, as you mentioned, but um, for example, if inflation is a consideration, uh, small caps are traditionally a good place to be. So we just had an NFIB survey um, asking small business owners whether they would uh, pass on price increases and the answer was pretty much yes. And and historically, that's been the case. So small companies, small caps have been quicker and had an easier time of passing on inflationary increases in prices. So I think, you know, uh, bottom line, you want to be diversified. It's not to say that you'd want to get out of tech, um, but you certainly, you know, whereas that was the only place to be in a lot of cases. um, I wouldn't say that's the case anymore.
0: I like the point about how small caps kind of act as a hedge to inflation, it seems like, is is the message there to some degree. Um, Dana, looking at another part of your notes that I think is worth mentioning this morning is the connection between the dollar and international companies. As you point out, international stocks should be a part of the diversification within one's view. You know, We haven't needed that for a while because they lag so far behind the U.S. story. What do you think will tell us if there is an opening appearing for international companies to outperform?
1: um i think uh there's a a variety of reasons to be diversified internationally as well um one would be of course just multiples which you mentioned earlier uh they definitely favor overseas companies at this point emerging markets in particular so you know this is an area obviously that's volatile um but you know having a a piece of your portfolio invested there is probably a good idea emerging economies tend to still be a little bit lower correlated with u.s uh returns than you know international developed counterparts so that's a, a good reason to be uh diversified there um eps growth estimates appear to be higher for ex us economies at this point so a lot of good reasons to be diversified internationally and just Looking at the long run, right? I mean, uh it's been the case that US and XUS uh kind of trades dominance over time, Mm. right? The US is about fifty percent of the global market. So if you're only invested in US, you're missing the other fifty percent. And you know, it's easy after 10 years of a a US bull run and, and complete dominance to say, why do I even need to diversify overseas? But you know, look to the last decade, right? When the S&P 500 wasn't that far, wasn't that long ago that the S&P 500 returned nothing over 10 years. And yeah. if you were just invested there, you you, you really didn't get anything. So I, I think um, the argument for international
0: diversification is, is pretty good, pretty okay. solid.